Hey, did somebody call for backup? What's up, prodigies? And welcome back to Call for Backup, a prodigal son podcast from Nerds and Beyond. Stash that murderous escapee in your trunk and join us as we discuss season two, episode 11 of Prodigal Son. If you're not caught up, this is your big spoiler warning. Come join us when you've watched all of season one, now available on HBO Max, and all the latest episodes of season two on Fox Now and Hulu. As many of you know, I'm Kaylee, and I'm a staff writer at Nerds. You can find me on social media at Kaylee Gross. For this episode, I am joined by Kennedy Megan and my co-host Jules, so thanks for being here this week. Kennedy is providing a quick recap of the episode. Jules will be leading the discussion of our favorite noteworthy moments and helping to discuss our theories. And of course, we'll have our weekly Malcolm Danger Count led by myself and Jules. But don't worry, I'll end the episode with a nice dose of reflection for the week ahead with a motivational affirmation or quote. Before we begin, I'll let the other staff members introduce themselves and explain what they do for nerds. I'm Megan. I'm a staff writer, and you can find me on Twitter at Marvel Stalina. Hey guys, uh, I'm Kennedy. Um, I'm an editor and writer at Nerds and Beyond, and you can find me over on Twitter at Kennedy Lynch. And I'm Jules. I am an editor, writer, and content assistant, and you can find me on Twitter at Jules Writes Blog. This week on Prodigal Son, it's a very, very mad world as major crimes and the U.S. Marshals run in circles trying to chase down Martin and the other escape patients from Claremont. Malcolm finds this case hard to take, to say the least, with his emotional state rapidly deteriorating as he races to help find the surgeon while simultaneously being worried for Martin's life in such a high-stakes manhunt. Be sure to check out our in-depth recap on nerdsandbeyond.com for all of the details. Now, on to our discussion. Okay, and now on to our discussion of the episode, our reactions. I mean, there's there's so much to unpack, really, that it's difficult to know where to start. So I'm going to make time for Jules's music corner, because I just need to take a moment to appreciate the music choice this episode. They use the song Mad World, which is like the saddest song ever on a good day. And I love it, but it's so sad. And they wove it throughout the episode. They put it into the score of the show, which was such a cool choice. I loved it so much. And you know, when you open the episode on a scene of little Ainsley and little Malcolm with the song Mad World, you're in for an emotional roller coaster. So what did you guys think of the song choice? I don't, I did, I guess I didn't know that it was called that or maybe I haven't heard it. <gasps> That's for me. How I know, I'm dare sorry. you? I'm kicked out of this podcast, I guess. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. <laughs> Um, We're down one co-host. I know. <laughs> oh darn. <laughs> I I thought it was a good choice though. I they always have great music choices in the show because every song they choose perfectly fits into the scene. I really enjoyed it. I just didn't know what it was called. <laughs> Blasphemy. I know Megan is just bursting at the scenes to mention how it was on Riverdale at one point. Oh, was it? I'll really? go ahead and put it out for you. <laughs> Was it really? I see. I yeah. Sorry, I Before I stopped watching, yeah. <laughs> it's just yes. I got yes, you. It was covered on Riverdale. Black, I don't think I can do Riverdale too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree with Jules. It was a really. 
I was really nervous when they started playing it at the beginning because it's a it has a very distinct like opening like few notes and so I was just like oh my god why are they playing this song like this doesn't bode well but I think they did a really good job of like weaving it throughout the story and mm-hmm. especially in that scene where you know Malcolm thought that uh, Martin had been shot like when they were taking I forgot the other guy's name Hector down yeah, in the yeah. like farmhouse or whatever so I grew Jules they did a very good job props to the music department <laughs> So our next piece to note, um, as usual, we kind of go in least interesting to most interesting in terms of stuff to discuss, but we got a new character this week. We got Ruiz coming in with the U.S. Marshals, and I thought she was a really interesting addition to the group because she was funny, she was tough, she could kind of go toe-to-toe with Malcolm. Um, I loved her in the bowling alley kind of snapping back at him and being like, you need to get your eyes on the prize. I just thought she was a really interesting character. What did you guys think of her kind of introduction to the show? Well, I've always admired the show with how they portray strong women. Like Danny, you know, and Jessica and Ainsley, like all of them are very, very strong women. Uh, and I and I like how Ruiz was um, like confident in her abilities and her, in her job. And I like how she kind of stood up against Malcolm. It was like, you need to like get a reality check. You know, like you almost just died and I just saved your life. Like I was more expecting a thank you than for you to yell at me. You know what I'm saying? But I, I enjoyed her, uh, her performance um, and just her character in general throughout the episode. I thought she did a great job. And I, like I said, I thought she brought an interesting dynamic because it's not often they collaborate with another department or another um, police feel like it's not like they're like with the FBI. You know what I'm saying? All the time. There was only that one time with the junkyard killer. So well, and then I guess Simon Hawksley, but that was just for like an episode in two seconds. I agree. Um, I think she definitely brought like some some spunk to the screen. I really enjoyed mm-hmm. her no nonsense attitude, but at the same time, she was uh, really good with, you know, working with special crimes, I guess. Um, yeah. I feel like most of the time that we've seen other departments like come in, it's because Malcolm is in trouble in some <laughs> form or fashion. Or his family, so, yeah. Yeah, well, I guess if we're counting his family, then this one counted as that too. (laughs) But it was nice to see someone else. I mean, not that I don't love the regular team, but it was just nice to mix it up a little. I agree. It keeps it interesting and it keeps the storyline interesting for all of us because it's it would be very boring if it was for like a straight 13 or 12 episodes. 13? 12? 13. 13. 13. Uh, I feel like it would be super like, plain if it was just the same people every single episode and like doing the same thing it just would be so redundant and I like that they change it up here and there I enjoy that aspect of the show and of course Ruiz's introduction also gives us the final sign off for one of my favorite recurring prodigal son <laughs> characters R.I.P. Friar Pete R.I.P. Oh, R.I.P. Horrible, horrible way to go, really. Actually, pretty graphic way to go as well. (laughs) Um, We really saw him get shot. Um, But, uh, I mean, what a great final scene, too. And Christian Borle did an amazing job playing him. Really did. Just such a compelling character. I mean, what are our final thoughts on Friar Pete as (laughs) as he goes and meets his god, which he definitely believes in. in His maker. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Again, kind of jumping off of what you said, Jules, he did an amazing job. I mean, you really believe he's this creepy murderer that's supposed to be in a psychiatric (laughs) hospital. 
I really liked how we got a little bit of a backstory on Friar Pete, although his demise was shortly after, but it, I always like to know the reason behind somebody's behavior and actions, like what, you know, their, their origin story, their backstory. And I feel like it kind of gave us a little bit more insight into him and, and why he is the way he is, you know, why he believes in God so highly, why they call him Friar Pete sort of I just want to say that scene with Malcolm and Friar Pete where he's on the alley I'm first of all how he didn't slip and fall was just... <laughs> he didn't put the special shoes on he and I feel like that's really on. the continuity there I mean clearly he, I'm like, he was like can on. you just let me put my shoes on really quick <laughs> let's be real Malcolm would grab the he shoes would. first he yeah. really would give him some more time so I was a little like how did they not fall but maybe in the moment I don't know uh maybe his shoes have that like non-slick I don't know I don't have I don't wear men's shoes so maybe it's just like already put in there hey he's rich who knows what features the special (laughs) rich people shoes have (laughs) exactly but that scene where he's coming after Malcolm and the camera is like like racing towards him I thought that was really really cool uh and then it would switch to Friar Pete's perspective Mm-hmm. Um, where he was coming at Malcolm. So I, again, Kaylee's shot director editing corner. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought, all in all, I thought Christian Borrell did a wonderful job. And I think he was Amazing. a great addition to the show, for sure. Mm-hmm. We're starting to have so many corners. There's there's I more know. than four corners on the show. How many rooms do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have been very vocal about not liking Friar Pete's character, but not because, I mean, obviously Christian Borle did an amazing job. We loved his performance, um, but I have been very vocal in the past about not liking Friar Pete's character. He creeped me out. I was not a fan. He is, but I, especially after the rats thing, I was like, please. I, I, <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. I but don't I like was, rats. That's where I, that is where I draw the line. <laughs> But I was actually really upset, like, when he died. I don't know. I feel he brought a really interesting dynamic, uh, especially to Claremont. I feel like he was one of the first people that we started to get to know outside of mm-hmm. Martin and Mr. David um, in Claremont. So I just think it was kind of sad to see him go. Christian Borle did a great job. Maybe we get to have some Friar Pete flashbacks. Maybe if Martin's caught, we get to see some more stuff about them planning the breakout. But, yeah. That would be really interesting. Kind of, mm-hmm. we didn't really see out any of that, which I would have liked to see. Kind of like how I wanted to see more of the of Endicott being moved to Estonia, but <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I guess it can't make everybody happy. I guess <laughs> we wanted a detailed play by play as to how I, he got away. I with just murder. wanted more. You know what I mean? Oh, gosh. All right, well, I'm getting maybe all maybe next season. Maybe next season. Maybe next maybe season. Put it out into the world, put it out to the yes. universe, manifest it. All of y'all out there, manifest it yourselves. <laughs> season three. So the next bit we definitely want to touch on. And so Capshaw, huh, she's Ooh. interesting this episode because we got thing. we Ooh. got two separate Capshaw things we kind of got to talk about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna split them. Uh, but the first one we want to talk about is Capshaw <laughs> and Jessica, which is an interesting interaction that I don't think we were necessarily expecting, but we really love. Bellamy Young and Catherine Zeta-Jones together and I feel like those scenes between Capshaw and Jessica were just oh my god they were perfect what were you guys thinking when we finally got these two together I loved it it's just something you didn't really expect like you might think like oh the two women in Martin's life like they're gonna hate each other but they're like god this guy is a piece of work isn't he (laughs) no they can bond over that and I feel like that's how some like not a lot of friendships happen but 
it's just how like sometimes women work like you can just bond over some like a hatred of somebody <laughs> you know an awful I mean? ex you know everyone's right. got an awful ex and and you just gotta you gotta bond with each other over it I just love that both of them have alcohol immediately yes. they're like yep mm-hmm. it's time for a drink Martin oh, Whitley yeah. got a drink you know and how I guess I liked how Capshaw described it now I forget what she how she described it but like waiting like in hell waiting like almost like a hell limbo sort of hell's waiting room hell's waiting room yeah I was like it's something (laughs) like that I I just thought was a really good description or like um how she was feeling like I feel like it was really accurate for her and I liked seeing her kind of be more vulnerable like she was vulnerable a little bit with martin but she was always kind of this like strong i mean she Mm -hmm. is strong but this strong like doctor woman like no nonsense you know what i'm saying so i think it was good to open up a little bit to somebody that understands a little bit of what she's going through (laughs) so well she's not really going through it apparently but that's kind of That's well, kind of a whole different. Well, that's a, that's its own bullet point. That's its own <laughs> conversation. That is going to be discussed later. Oh yeah, in yes. in great detail. That's going to be discussed. I think Bellamy really like. She had a great episode. Mm-hmm. We got to see her with a lot of people that we don't normally see her interact with. You know, she's usually just has scenes mm-hmm. with Tom and Halston. I was about to call Lou Gill. <laughs> but, <laughs> he basically um, is. I know. <laughs> But I think it's really nice to see her interacting with other people outside of like the immediately mm-hmm. immediate Whitley family. And she did just a great job of just like Jessica's continued pain that, you know, Martin has caused her. Mm-hmm. And even though she kind of like puts it aside, she puts on a front like she told JT and like she was talking to Capshaw about. Um, she does have these moments where she does open up and she is vulnerable, vulnerable about it. And I think that it was really sweet of her to, you know, like go out on a limb and like talk to Capshaw like that, even though Capshaw was really betraying her, but it's oh. fine. Oh, fine. <laughs> the whole time playing them. I just thought it was a sweet moment between two really strong women. Mm-hmm. Uh, a nice moment that I feel like sometimes we just have to lean on somebody and invent. I think it's yeah. And they're and they're bonding together, mm-hmm. <laughs> or so we think, <laughs> or so we or thought. so we thought. Yeah. <laughs> Look, I gotta say, I mean, Catherine Zeta Jones played the heck out of that yes. though. She I did. It. And I feel like I'm we called it too, mm-hmm. because we could never figure out what her motive was. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because we always thought she was shady. Am I? Am I? Going we to did. I'll, we I'll step back. we we always thought she was shady, but let's we got to scream about that later. I know. I'll, <laughs> step, back. I'll step back. There's like too much task. to scream about. Keep it <laughs> on task. No, we have so we have so much to discuss before we get there. <laughs> but we also got a sweet emotional moment this week. It was quick. It was blink and you'll miss it. But between Malcolm and Danny, Malcolm actually told Danny how he was feeling before she even asked him how she was fe- how he was feeling what an accomplishment he's he's opening up you guys he's he's sharing kind of ish a little what did you guys think i know this sounds weird but i was almost proud of him in that moment because mm. it takes so much for someone to say that they're not okay and i think especially this episode, him yes i think this Yes, exactly, because he has so much trauma that he just holds down and just lets nobody in because it's just so intricate and complicated, his life and just what he's going through. So he doesn't let people in often. 
but especially with it being mental health awareness month, I just thought this episode was perfect because he just, it was okay for him to be, not be okay. Mm -hmm. And for him to finally admit it. And that takes so much courage. And I just like that he was honest for once in his life. I feel like even Danny wasn't expecting it, which was kind of funny. Like she almost (laughs) had that moment where she was like taken aback. Like, oh, I don't have to like pressure you into telling me you're not okay. I do like interrogate you. Yeah. It literally took a prison break by his psychopathic father for him to say I'm not doing well I'm kind of stressed and then what I love is that he basically said that and then Ruiz came out and they were like we gotta go and they like never even had a conversation I know he was just like I'm not doing well and Danny's <laughs> like we know and then they just moved on yeah but well, I that's it gotta that's the show him. that's it right. that's the show exactly <laughs> I like how Danny acknowledged his feelings though, because she's like, you have every right to not be okay right now. Like you're, mm-hmm. like you said, mm-hmm. your psychopathic father, serial killer father just got out of prison slash a psychiatric hospital. Uh-huh. So I like that she, although it was a small moment, I feel like it was really powerful because it only takes that small moment to, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, I'm not okay, mm-hmm. but I'm going to keep working through it. Yeah. And you know, and Danny knows and Malcolm can lean on her. Mm-hmm. which he has been throughout this season and, and even last season. But I, I, for some reason, I'm like so enamored by this moment, I guess. Just, I love mm-hmm. it so much because I just feel like so many people can relate to this, mm-hmm. especially myself, so. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. You might as well get the message out there that you can mm-hmm. talk to anybody, you know, if mm-hmm. you need support, you should reach out. And if anyone needs support, it's definitely Malcolm Bright. That man needs a whole lot of support. I mean, especially have- <laughs> everything that he's gone through. Everything he's gone through. And I also, I do not think he has talked to his therapist in a while, which is something I know, that I, I need him to, to revisit ASAP. I think he Maybe needs to go busy, talk to her. Right. Oh, she's Maybe busy? she went to therapy. <laughs> she probably, yeah, you're right. She went she to therapy to deal with therapy. her memories. <laughs> she's sitting in her therapy off like <laughs> In the, uh, on the other side with the drink she's like I gotta tell you about this patient I mean of course not violating HIPAA or anything but uh she's like I got something to tell you <laughs> speaking of reasons that Malcolm absolutely needs therapy this is a relationship this episode that we explored a lot but we didn't actually get them in the same room which I find fascinating um but between Malcolm and Martin you know we have these moments where Malcolm so clearly doesn't want his father to die, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't, he wants him to be caught, but there's this weird dynamic where you're almost like, does he really want him to be caught? Mm-hmm. And you get these moments like when he's sitting in the plane and he's holding a little toy that his father had. And it's like, why did his father have that toy? Like, was it to remember his son by? Like, what, like, what was the thought process? You sort of see him feeling bad for Martin. And then Martin's just completely absent. We don't really see him. We don't know how he's feeling about Malcolm. Oh, it was just, it was so tough to watch Malcolm go through that. I agree. I think they did a really good job. Nancy, one of, one of our writers, Nancy, was saying that was Martin's absence due to Michael not being there for filming because he had gotten COVID, but I think that they did a really good job of fleshing out the storyline and making him feel present, even though he wasn't, you know, physically. Yeah. In mm-hmm. But it was really hard to watch him go through that. And that's one of the things that I love about the show is that, you know, they don't deal in absolutes in terms of the character personality. I was mm-hmm. saying that you were live tweeting. Um, Martin is, you know, absolutely a psychopathic serial killer. <laughs> you, 
you absolutely want to see him behind bars. Like I was about to say in jail, Claremont's a psychiatric facility. I can't imagine he's going back there <laughs> after this though. I yeah. think he'll be in real jail, but they also, it, they make it really, really hard for you to hate him because you still see these glimpses of the man that, you know, he loves his son. He loves his daughter. Mm-hmm. He loves his family so deeply. And I think that they do a really good job of not dealing in black and white with all of the characters. There's always more going on under the surface than just, you know, like they're completely good or completely bad. So that scene with the toy was kind of heart wrenching, but uh, that's the show, I guess. Going off of what you said, Kennedy, I think that's so realistic to people in real life we're all not just black and white we you know we have there are some you know off gray maybe in the middle (laughs) for a lot of people so I I like what you said because it's so true there for these characters they're more complex they have so many more layers than just oh he's just a serial killer but he was a father he was a husband like those are different roles and layers that we're seeing and we're seeing a different side of him so we do have those emotions that come up that are like wow like in those moments he was a good dad you know he did love his son he did love his daughter and his wife but then his other motivations you know took the forefront and now you know he was a serial killer as well so it's it's so hard because like you said like you know he's a bad person you know he's killed 23 people possibly more we don't know and caused so much pain for this family but at the same time he you know he has those moments of like with him laughing with Ainsley and telling her this story and like spending time Mm -hmm. with her like that's a different side of him that's his like like almost a different role or persona like he's you know that's like different Martins you know you don't like you don't kind of know which one you're gonna get in the moment but sometimes he's like hey my boy it's dad you know uh (laughs) and or then you have him being like Go about to shank somebody it just it's crazy <laughs> Jules don't take this opportunity to segue into why Ainsley is- <laughs> <laughs> I, I have been told I have been told that I have one whole minute to, to make my one defense we're you putting Jules on a timer like, I know I'll put you on a timer <laughs> okay you t- you tell okay. me when to start I'll start <laughs> okay all right hold 60 on. seconds one. nothing nothing okay. more okay one minute Viewers, and I hope you know we've hear. talked about this so extensively. Everyone <laughs> is going to can't hear. do this. The timer go. I literally have a timer up. Okay, she's got the timer. I can see it on the Zoom. Okay. I'm, well, I'm trying to. See. Okay, you ready? I can see. <laughs> okay, three, two, one, go. So clearly, Ainsley is definitely being manipulative, and we can see in the scene with Malcolm that he just so desperately wants to believe that his sister does have empathy, that he's willing to overlook basically everything that she's done wrong this episode in order to get there. Do I think she's irredeemable? I don't think so. And here's my reasoning for that. I think she's being manipulated by Martin the same way that Malcolm thinks that she is, but really it's because she doesn't know if she has emotions or not. She killed the man. She was very confused about it. No one was there to talk to her, but for her father, who's an actual psychopath with no emotions. She's being tutored by Martin to feel no emotions. So she's losing touch with any emotions that she actually does feel. Irredeemable? I think not. And I think if we have a season three of this show, we're going to show that Ainsley, despite her psychopathic tendencies, actually does have an emotional beating heart under all of that. Okay, I was going to say she had five seconds left. Three, two, one. (laughs) (laughs) Jules went home last night and wrote that speech. (laughs) I feel like she had like a dissertation on Ainsley Whitley and she was just presenting it to the class. Y'all, yep, I was trying was. so hard not to laugh. She was reading <laughs> it so fast. She looked so determined. I was like, she was. Too. 
She was determined. She was Ooh, determined. Mic drop. Mic drop. Walk <laughs> away. I mean, I think you have some points, though, Jules, because I think Brianna, who's been on this podcast before and is also a writer and editor uh, for Nerds, mentioned that when she's sitting in the room in the interrogation room with Malcolm, and she like seems to start to like tear up a little bit and like be upset. Was she because Martin said just like almost fake it till you make it sort of idea like yeah fake that you're a, like that you're normal fake she was faking it she was faking she was that definitely faking it. she was oh, yeah. because i will just and how again kind of going to kaylee's director slash camera shot corner how they <laughs> had the camera you could see her eyes like mm-hmm. do you know what i'm talking about like it almost made her look more suspicious how they had that angle and it's crazy that a camera like shot can an angle can do so much for a scene but i i think you have some points though duels like i they're just she's so complex Thanks. but, but <laughs> i mean she's done some very very crappy things and she even mm-hmm. said like what i did to you you know with the prank he's like i think he was trying to make her feel better and was like look you have a lot of you have a lot of reasons to to feel the way that you feel and have done some things but i feel like something's like her killing a man cannot be excused, I guess. Sort of. I don't know. I'm like torn now. I guess Jules maybe convinced me. I don't know. It's I so have to tough. take up the sword on behalf of Brianna. <laughs> Just so you all know, Brianna's going to be listening back to this episode, and she's going to be screaming at all of us from home. Especially but she me. And I'm really sorry because Brianna is the number one. Ainsley Whitley is the worst person ever. And like if I'm the opposite end of the spectrum, she's the other side. I'm like in the so. middle. I definitely see both sides. I can see why she might be, you know. Kennedy I, is here with her, with, with Brianna's perspective. She I'm here. Forth. The spirit of Brianna is descending upon <laughs> me in this moment. No, okay. I'm not saying that she is 100% irredeemable, but right. I probably do not, like, nobody's 100% irredeemable. You can always come back. I, like, wholeheartedly <laughs> believe that. But I'm not believing in Ainsley at this moment. I, I'm i scared for I her. I think it was just autumn. Like, when she showed up, like at the beginning of the episode, like even though she hadn't really done anything yet, I was automatically suspicious because she's like, I just want to be here for my family and so much is going on. <laughs> but like, wow. like her boyfriend literally got stabbed, like literally got stabbed and she was like still working. So I was just like, mm, I I don't really know if I believe that. And then the scene, and I, I totally believe that she could be being manipulated by Martin because that's what Martin does. He's you know that's Mm -hmm. that's his gig but I don't really believe at this point that she just has the capacity for empathy that Malcolm is trying so hard to convince her and himself I feel like that scene that he was really trying to convince himself more than Ainsley that she was you know capable of feeling empathy and you know being a good person and all that just because her actions over the past season and even when you look back into season one we just weren't looking for it because you know we were so focused on Malcolm being the crazy one that um it wasn't as apparent but I just think that her behavior the past season is not really lined up and so I just don't I, I can't buy into it. I can't buy into it. I'm sorry, Jules. <laughs> kind of going off what you said, Kennedy. Do you so in the beginning of the episode, we got a flashback a little bit of Ainsley and, and Malcolm, because that's where that little Batman uh, figurine came from mm-hmm. the, from the plane. She cried and then she was like, Okay, Daddy. Did yes. anybody else see that? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, yes. I did see that. 
it does poke a little bit of a hole in my nature versus nurture argument. A little like bit. father, like daughter. Because she was, you know, because she, she was crying. I'm using that in quotations because she didn't get what she wanted. And then as soon as. As soon dad, as Martin well, showed up. Well, little kids like, do okay. that. I was mm. a pain in the butt. I did that mm. when I was a like, oh, like almost instantaneously. It was like that. Like it yeah. was, I thought like nobody else noticed that. Ball. I'm so glad you, pa- Which, like you, you pointed that out. Because, so I think that was a good indicator of maybe she's not the, you know, well-adjusted Whitley. And we're seeing those little holes <laughs> sort of in character, I guess I want to say maybe her personality and her empathy. She's just, oh, it's just so hard to know what she's thinking. Cause yeah. she's so good at, at being normal like martin said shout out to halston for she's playing the heck out of that role she's doing amazing good it's just so hard to tell because is a psychopath or is it sociopath i think they went with psychopath but i would put her more as a sociopath Sociopath, because she's she's shutting down like the emotional side of herself like she's not able to kind of understand Although it's interesting because, you know, what Malcolm said, which is true, like a sociopath wouldn't feel guilt about anything. Mm-hmm. And I do think there are certain things that she does feel guilty about. Like in that moment, there's certain stuff I think she was lying about, feeling right. guilty about, but she has felt sorry in the past. We've mm-hmm. seen her say she's sorry for things in the past, not as much this season. But so I don't know if she's like fully a sociopath or if it's almost like this is her way of dealing with having killed somebody in a really brutal way and kind of not being able to talk about it. It's like, what kind of person does this? Someone like my father. What is my father? A raging narcissistic sociopath. So it's kind of like this weird like association game of like, do I have empathy? Do I not have empathy? I'm just like saying, almost it must having... be very confusing. No, and I agree with that. No, it it's makes like sense. Almost having an identity crisis. Yeah. Am, am I am I a sociopath or am I me? Like, what, right. like, does the fact that I'm driven mean that I have a killer inside me that I'm, that I'm somehow like a sociopath? Because plenty of people in her career path are driven and willing yeah. to do things to kind of and make they don't their, kill people and they don't kill people. But to <laughs> be fair, she was, she was under extreme duress <laughs> in that scenario. No one is sorry to see Nicholas Endicott go. Right. No one is Malcolm sorry. Was also that doesn't make it. Mm. Actually, he had the gun. <laughs> <laughs> does that make it okay that doesn't make it okay i'm oh, not I, saying I, I we're it. not sad like you could i guess you could argue for self-defense but she did way overkill and i feel like that almost negates self-defense like if she had stabbed him <laughs> yes. once maybe if malcolm had shot him once maybe but if he just emptied the clip i mean okay you know what i'm saying like we would we would yell overkill uh on the self-defense thing i don't know maybe i'm getting too crime too crime <laughs> too true crime invested <laughs> All, all I'm saying is, as Brianna is ripping her hair out listening to this, is that <laughs> I, I do I do believe we, we have a, a, a small sliver, there's like this much of a crack in the door, that she could still be redeemed. But it's it's a it's closing and it's closing. It's fast. been closing very fast. It's been closing rapidly, <laughs> and she's she's only got a little bit left to kind of stick her foot in and, and keep it cracked open. That's why I was gonna say I wonder what they have left for her because we only have two episodes mm. left now so i wonder what we ha- what they have left for her for the end of the season because i mean i was flabbergasted i mean i literally posted a video which is now deleted because but for reasons but you know <laughs> we we didn't see it coming so i'm wondering yeah. what that huge thing is going to be whether it's going to be about ainsley or jessica or gill like we, we really don't know which is why we need a we season need three renew <laughs> prodigal son <laughs> Because last year, 
the show didn't get renewed until like two or three weeks after mm-hmm. the the season one finale or it was just torture. like torture. what is going to happen after this if they had ended at season one i would have seriously <laughs> been the most angry but this person. year it might be worse kaylee because this is building to a cliffhanger i don't know who, what kind of cliffhanger but i i can feel it i can feel oh there's the no way it's oh. not going to be worse than season one like there's no this season has consistently See, topped I, the storylines and it's the like, suspense it's gonna be crazy how can they top how? season one i feel like they're they gonna figure to it out season one? <laughs> we say that with a lot of about a lot of shows though and they all like most of the time can seem to do it so i feel like they have something up their sleeves we just have no i have faith in the writers yeah, I mean anything like literally anything can can happen on this show. And speaking of anything can happen, <laughs> and the type of twist that Prodigal Son is known for, this is this is our uh, this is our last discussion topic for a reason. <laughs> Kennedy's already. Capshaw. Capshaw. <laughs> Kennedy's ready. I What's was... going on? <laughs> okay. Uh, it's shook I... it indeed. I am so tired. Every time I think that I have a grasp of what is going on on the show, they find a way to pull the wool over my eyes. And I, okay, we knew Capshaw was shady from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. Nobody had any doubts about that. But it really seemed like she had realized after Martin pulled his whole shtick with Friar Pete that he was not a good person to be involved with. And Catherine Zeta-Jones was selling it this entire episode. She seemed so Mm -hmm. guilty, like racked with guilt over what had happened. There was not a single inkling. There was not a single inkling that she was involved further because her kind of hesitance to answer, you know, talk to Malcolm Jessica was just came off as, you know, her lying about being involved with Martin and, you know, like a relationship because obviously that's not supposed to happen. I, I'm just, I'm very upset. I'm, I'm tired of being fooled. I, it's always something. <laughs> Kennedy is just tired. tired. She's done. She's just. <laughs> Can I also jump, like piggyback off of what you said, Kennedy, about, um, about her seeming guilty? Is that an act? Because like Martin said, pretend, you know, have this facade, like almost have this facade of appear normal. So was that all an act about her seeming guilty and being upset and or was she actually upset and then decided to enact revenge or you know what i mean was it i don't think i think martin was fully prepared to dump her and run i think whatever happened afterwards i think that that was capshaw being like you are not gonna make me the fool like you are not going to play me this way. And so I think he he messed with the wrong woman. Unfortunately. Like a doctor like I feel like that's uh, the worst. <laughs> I I do not have high hopes for Martin. After I know. this episode because the preview especially makes it very like misery-esque like they're getting like that kind of homage going on mm-hmm. and I just I just think that she was faking like 90% of what she was do- doing in this episode. And I think it's fascinating that she tried to kind of be with Jessica in that moment, knowing what we know about where Martin was while she was talking to Jessica. Like Mm -hmm. we talk about Ainsley being able to put stuff over here, but holy cow, Capshaw just completely Do we think she's actually a psychopath though or a sociopath? Yes. Yes. Oh yeah, totally. You don't stuff a man into the trunk of your car. (laughs) Real or was it, like I said, just, just an act? Oh, I mean, that's act. a heck of an actor act. because Malcolm was profiling her in the moment and didn't see 
You know what I'm saying? It was like Malcolm's a little stressed, Kaylee. Malcolm's got a lot going Malcolm's on. Malcolm's right got now. a lot going on. He's a professional. <laughs> Ainsley, he missed Ainsley lying straight to his face. Like yeah, even that's even Gil, even Gil was like, I don't think Ainsley's being legit with you. And he's like, No, 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 no. It's fine. She's really stressed out. And it's like <laughs> she's going through a lot. She's been through a she's lot. She's going through a lot right now. No, I I honestly I think that Capshaw's absolutely was lying the entire time. I think that this like just the fact that she had him in the trunk of her car. <laughs> like all day while she I was know. waiting to leave it's probably really cold he probably had to go to the bathroom i mean i breathing <laughs> he's in the trunk are we really feeling sorry for martin right now oh yeah are no we... he's like, i mean i like, wouldn't want to be in a trunk <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying what she did was right but i no, can't yeah. find it within me martin has messed up too much right. stuff this oh, season oh, i can't i'm sorry did, did i just hear that capshaw a sociopath is is potentially on a redemptive path and you can't <laughs> no. for all of her actions I'm just saying, I'm just saying, Can I maybe we to- should be nicer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we should give more benefit of the doubt, I guess. Yes. Can I jump into Theory's Corner for a second? Please. So, well, I guess more, it's more of a, like, a general question, more than, a, like, a personal theory I have. So, my question is, what or how did Capshaw go from literally the infirmary burning down with everybody having rat poison to her getting martin her trunk so did she like drug him beforehand you know did was the plan all along for them to escape together and then her you know turn around and betray him you know what i'm saying like how did we get from point a to point b like she was heartbroken he left her he was out the door gone how did he end up in a trunk that's what i want to know if she was in on it from the whole from the beginning we wouldn't have had that scene of them with with the rat poison and everything they wouldn't have needed to do that or they might have had to but it would have been a cover like we would have seen her be like okay now like you go meet me in the car and like i'll be right back like there was none of that so whatever happened i think it had to happen after that moment i don't know i'm just so completely convinced i'm really not sure because at this point i'm not even fully convinced that like i'm not sure if martin like went with her willingly or if she is like kidnapping him because the promos have been known to fake us out as i have said um i feel like capsule was definitely suspicious that they were about to break out because you know fire pete was being weird with his rats in the basement <laughs> so i think she knew that something was going on and we have said like so many times that we thought capsule was in on it somehow I think that that whole scene really still could have been like a plausible deniability thing because even though all the patients in the infirmary are like puking their guts up from consuming rat poison, <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean that they're not like aware of what's going on. So if she was just I like, Bye, would Martin, not care at all what was going on with those two. If I was being, if I was puking my guts out from having right. ingested rat poison, I'd be like, I'm a little but busy just puking saying, I'm just saying, I'm not convinced that it's still not a cover. Now, yeah. going back to is Capshaw a psychopath? 10 out of 10. I think that she is. <laughs> yeah. No, because even from the beginning, like, I thought so- we all knew something was off with her personality. But, mm-hmm. you know, we kind of just thought it was like, you know, the emotional wall thing. Like, you work in Claremont. You don't right. want to really get emotionally involved with these people because <laughs> that's just not something you want to do. But if you go back and look at that through a different lens, that could really be, you know, seen as some psychopathic tendencies she kind of had us like not really that large of a capacity for empathy and going back to what she was telling martin about you know her whole 
she was too ambitious back at her old hospital and that's kind of what got her fired because she was taking too many risks without you know evaluating how that would affect the patients Mm -hmm. it makes sense so I don't know I think that we're just gonna have to wait for the flashbacks to see what's going on because I have no earthly clue if we find out she killed her patients I want a gold star predicting that way back (laughs) i I want that noted (laughs) i wonder too how she got from like her old jobs to claremont like did she know martin whitley was there like did she have it out to get him the whole time or Mm. you know what i'm saying i i'm all for backstories i'm all for like circling it back to then kind of make sense for the present I i don't know i'm just so conflicted there's so many what ifs about Capshaw? Because, like I said, we knew she was shady <laughs> from the get go, but we and we just didn't know her motives for anything. But now, I mean, she gonna get some revenge, like we saw in the promo for next week. Oh God, it's it's next week is looking like it's gonna be one of those episodes that we're gonna have like fifteen line items to discuss because you have the whole Capshaw Martin situation, and then we also have a brief glimpse of what looks like a bright whale kiss. Kiss. And- <laughs> I well, I saw late. <laughs> we I were watching that. the promo. We were watching the promo, and Brianna goes in the chat, <laughs> kiss. And I'm like, Brianna, you are focused on the wrong thing right I now. Yeah, because <laughs> there's the so episode, much else going on. Yeah, after the uh, the episode aired, I immediately went in the group chat. I was like, Oh my god, Capshaw, because that's like the first thing in my mind, and I didn't really mm-hmm. focus on the <laughs> promo because I apparently just my memory have no memory of seeing that the first time. I only saw Capshaw, like, getting, like... Martin getting tortured. Like, like, tortured and screaming. (laughs) And uh, Malcolm, like, throwing stuff in Martin's, like, uh, Claremont room. Never saw a Brightwell kiss. So I was like, what? (laughs) They kissed? (laughs) I just don't see... There's only two episodes left, and there's just so many questions that have been left unanswered. I don't see how much is going to get shoved into two, you know, like, hour-long episodes. I don't... I don't get it get like a three hour long season finale season season three season three we need season three well i mean well upfronts are supposed to be on the 17th of may right and the in the Mm -hmm. in the finale airs on what the 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 18th so we'll probably find out i will be for the finale airs so guys this means if you're listening to our podcast Mm -hmm. tweet about the show hashtag renew prodigal son Everything. Hashtag prodigal son season three. Hashtag prodigal son. Renew Make sure prodigal you get son. Engagement. Renew prodigal son. Any any engagement's great. Um, rewatch we, episodes. Yes, rewatch episodes. All of it. All of it. We, and, we, we, we also did a podcast a couple months ago for reasons to renew the the series. I, so. think, it was, I think it was like our 10th episode or... Oh, yeah, about no. midway through. It was during oh, our maybe, hiatus yeah. time. I don't know we, yeah. we're on episode 14 right now so I'm not sure which episode it was but if you check us out on wherever you listen to your podcast and you look up call for backup podcasts on podcasts you should find our episodes check it out there mm-hmm. of course tweet us at call for backup pod uh let us know what you think guys because this has been a heck of an episode and now it is time for a little segment we like to call the Malcolm danger count warning warning Malcolm Danger. Where we go over the many, many poor decisions made by our favorite profiler, Mr. Malcolm Bright. Uh, just a reminder, count so far this season is 30. Woo! Unbelievable. We're getting close to the end now. So who knows? I mean, the next few episodes, 
we could get some major new entries into the danger count. I don't I'm know. Not promo. I don't know. It looks like I'm we have promo. 10 next episode. <laughs> Especially <laughs> for Martin. Count danger. Oh my gosh. It's going to be crazy. So we only have actually two this Surprisingly. week. Because mostly because he was being babysat by Gil for a good and percentage of the episode. Right. And for Ruiz and Danny. People people were watching Malcolm this week. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one, personally my favorite, is uh, chasing after Friar Pete into the bowling alley with zero backup, not really, not really telling anybody what he's doing or what the plan is, uh, going after the man with a loaded gun. Yeah. And Danny even said, like, well, let me call for backup. Mm-hmm. You know, Danny knows what she's doing. Oh, yeah. He does yeah. what she's supposed to do and call for backup. And she's like, just <laughs> wait here. So I think we've said before that we just need him to, like, call for backup, but also wait for backup. Follow through. Wait for right, backup. Exactly. Very important. He definitely it was, also a, it was a patented Malcolm move that he does so many times where somebody says, stay here. And they immediately leave. I just need him on a leash. He immediately goes. He needs to be on a leash. Like so one I of those think- kid ones, kid <laughs> leashes, you know? <laughs> And I, oh I, because kids, they, they will sometimes just you they wander seconds. Yeah. And they'll be gone. <laughs> so that's what we need for him. And no it like has control. a bell on it or something if he moves. Oh my gosh. So that was, that was our main moment. That was, that was the big glaring one. But it then was. the second moment that we have is at the house when he thinks that Martin has either been shot or, or he's shot someone or there's confusion over what's going on inside the house. And Malcolm just runs right in there after mm-hmm. being expressly told by several people that he should probably just let the marshals do what they're going to do and then deal with it afterwards. Uh, I mean, understandable. Mm-hmm. He's emotional, but still not the best and brightest moment from our favorite Malcolm Bright. <laughs> <laughs> not one of his brightest moments of not sure. one of his brightest that. moments I feel like that's just everything to do with Malcolm is not his brightest moment and you know that that um slow-mo with him running in Gil Cummings like slowly after and um Ru- is it Ruiz yes okay I just want to make sure I said it right uh yeah it was I mean and you could see like of course you know his father's a killer and a, a you know a terrible human but it is also his father and he does I feel like somewhere deep down I just feel like they have a very complicated relationship and I think somewhere deep down he still cares for him so it was an emotional scene but then I think like he snapped back to reality was like where's my dad like Mm -hmm. I thought he was dead at least I know where he was where is he now (laughs) (laughs) so but Martin's gonna have some danger counts coming up here soon so I know he is going maybe we'll have to start a father-son danger count next week yeah. And as always, if you think we missed a danger moment, if you've got questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and find us on Twitter. We are at call for the number four backup pod. As a party note for our podcast, we'll be ending every episode with a motivational affirmation or quote that hopefully inspires you as you start your weekend. This week's quote is, it's perfectly okay to admit you're not okay. Unknown. So with it being Mental Health Awareness Month, we feel that it's really important to remember not only for, of course, Malcolm Bright, but for all of us. It's a reminder that sometimes we're not okay and it's okay to admit that. Please, if you're listening out there, just make sure to take care of yourself and remember that you're enough and you matter and we care about you so deeply and we thank you so much for listening. So happy Mental Health Awareness Month. remember prodigies if you're stuck in a bowling alley with a psychopathic killer 
don't be like Malcolm and call for backup. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check back next week. And in the meantime, you can follow us on our Twitter account at call for backup pod. That's call the number four backup pod tag us and let us know your thoughts on the episode. And as always, follow us at Nerds Beyond for all of your nerdy news.